Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? Doing good. How about you? I'm really good. Really? I'm fine. (laughs) I'm good. You sounded a little tripped up there. (laughs) Well, that's just par for the course for me, but yeah. (laughs) So we don't have any real announcements this week. We're going to pretty much get right into it. We just wanted to say, um, if you are a Patreon patron, we are getting ready to open up our voting for... um, the next Patreon episode. So we've been doing little polls in there about what you guys want to hear. So yeah. if you are already a Patreon patron, you can get on there and vote. And if you're not and you want to check it out, you can visit patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. There you go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So this week we are headed back to upstate New York to discuss the murder and attempted murder of a loving couple who were attacked in their home shortly before Thanksgiving in 2004. While I didn't Google the city in regards to Bethlehem, New York, where this story actually takes place, um, we have Googled Del Mar in the past, which is a suburb. So it was very, very close, and I felt like that probably wouldn't make sense to do it exactly. It would be the exact same facts because it's basically a suburb. I use the word suburb because I don't know the actual word. Don't at me because (laughs) I don't know geography. So um, we, we talked about Del Mar in our episode on the lamb about the convicted the murders that escaped the prison. So uh, this week we Googled the city um, will actually be about a town that comes up in the story. And that town is Rochester, New York. Ro- Am I saying that right? Rochester. Rochester. 
Yeah. But if you say it like slow, it doesn't sound right at yeah. all. So, <laughs> um, so the popu- population of Rochester as of 2016 is 208,880. Why did I think that was a much bigger place? We hear about it in our Facebook group. I think that's why. There's a few people, and I won't say who they are because that'd be really terrible to call them out and be yeah. like, this person <laughs> lives there? in Rochester. Yeah. yeah. We do know some, though. Yeah, we do know <laughs> some. Um, so I felt like it was a bigger town, city, whatever. Um, and for those of you playing at home, it is about six hours northwest-ish from New York City. So that's kind of like people look at Florida and they're like, oh, are you near Miami? We're like, mm, no, not really, but yeah. <laughs> that's all they know. <laughs> In 1887, the first dental chair was designed uh, in Rochester by Frank Ritter, and I'm fairly certain that it has never been perfected from there. They were like, Here, here's <laughs> this the, is design. the design. <laughs> you can't do anything. We're not even going to give you a freaking pillow. That's it. You're just <laughs> be really, really miserable. In 1851, David Kendall and George Taylor manufactured, manufactured America's first thermometers, I don't think I ever cared where a thermometer came from, but congratulations, Rochester. It's a very Yay. useful tool. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and mustard, one of the lesser popular condiments, in my mm, opinion. I yeah. love mustard. It's good, right? Just I like it's it. It's basically vinegar, I think. I like dipping like french fries in it. Just straight vinegar? Yeah. I mean, it's just straight, straight mustard? Straight mustard. I have thoughts on that, and it's that you're wrong. <laughs> okay, from someone who dips potato chips in ketchup, I don't really take listen, your opinion like too highly. Listen, on that. <laughs> sometimes they need a little kick, and ketchup is there for you. <laughs> so, um, mustard was first commercially manufactured there by RT French Company in 1904. French mustard, we know that French is mustard. So, those are your facts. Don't again at me if I missed a lot of things. Congratulations, <laughs> your city's probably more interesting than I just made it. So, Mandy. Right into the story. On Monday, November 15th, 2004, it should have been just like any other day in the home of Peter and Joan Porco, who were residents of a beautiful two-story home located in the heart of Bethlehem, New York. According to officers, Peter got out of bed, went to the bathroom, and stood over the sink, which was probably the way he began almost every morning. Next, he went down the hallway, down the stairs, and through the first floor hallway. He then headed to the kitchen and began unloading the dishwasher. It appeared as though he may have been making his lunch, and he then opened the front door, possibly to grab the morning newspaper. It was there that he collapsed and died. Frank Porco had done all of this after being repeatedly struck in the head with an axe. Just a little while later, police were asked to check on the Porco residence after Mr. Porco, an appellate division court clerk, failed to show up for work. What police found at the scene was something that would haunt even the most seasoned detectives. When officers arrived at the Porcos, they found Peter and immediately went to find Joan. They found Joan upstairs in the couple's bed with similar injuries to what Peter had suffered. Except, despite all odds, Joan was still alive. Joan was able to flag detectives down, and one of the first officers on the scene, Detective Chris Bodish, was by her side. This was not the first time he had been inside the Porco home. Two years prior, the couple had called the police after they noticed a few of their laptops missing from inside the home. Detective Bodish realized that Joan was conscious and decided to start asking her questions. So, can you imagine walking in on any of this? No, and yeah, and she is still alive somehow miraculously, and they can tell that she has been attacked with an axe. Yeah. And she's still able to, like, flag down an officer and try to at least communicate. Right. Even though I can just imagine, like... The whole scene, I mean, he's already traveled through the house, so there's just got to be blood everywhere for... Yeah. I mean, that's... Lack of a better way of describing it, yeah. But, I mean, there's just a lot going on in here. So, with the severity of her injuries, they had no idea if Joan would live, and they realized this may be their only opportunity to have an eyewitness account of what happened that day. 
Detective Bodish initially asks Joan if she can hear him, to which Joan nods yes. Detectives on scene quickly realize that this must be an inside job. Joan's purse was out in the open and was not touched. There had been no signs of a break-in at all. The weapon of choice used by the killer, a fireman's axe, belonged to the Porcos and was found in their bedroom. Detective Bodish continued with his questions. He wondered if a family member had done this, and when he asked Joan, she nodded yes. Joan and Peter had two sons, neither of which lived at their home at this time. They were adult sons. Um, Jonathan was the older of the two, and he was living in South Carolina and was a member of the U.S. Navy. Christopher was the baby of the family at 21, and he was living just a few hours away in Rochester where he was attending college at the University of Rochester. Detective Botus then asked about um, their sons, and when he asked if Jonathan had done this to her, Joan nodded. Um, she did. She indicated that he did not. She said no. And when he asked if Christopher did it, she said yes. So unbeknownst to her at this time, this nod yes saying that her son Christopher had done this would end up being the subject of a very intense debate on this case for years to come. Joan was rushed into emergency surgery where doctors did not know immediately whether or not she would make it, and she spent several days in a coma after the attack. Detectives were able to confirm that the couple's older son, Jonathan, was indeed in South Carolina and would not have been able to be in New York at the time of the killing, and he was immediately removed as a suspect in this case. At this point, detectives only had one other name on their list of suspects. That name was Christopher Porco. Christopher was in his dorm at the University of Rochester when he received a call from a news reporter telling him the news of his father's death and that his mother was, had suffered grave injuries. The reporter was calling to actually speak to roommates of Porco's and had no idea that Chris had not heard the news about his parents yet, which on the surface, if you're looking at this whole thing and you just pick up the phone, it's a news reporter, and they're like, oh, hi, these terrible things happened to your family. Right. What are your comments? And that's right. the first time, if that's the first time you're hearing about it, oh, my gosh, that would be a terrible, terrible way yeah, to, absolutely. to hear about it. So they were actually calling to speak to a roommate to ask questions about Christopher because now in – Bethlehem, where they lived, they're already on his case. Right. After receiving a phone call from the reporter, Christopher took off on the 230-mile journey to be with his mom in the hospital. When he arrived, detectives took him aside and asked him his whereabouts during the time of the attack. He told them that he was in his dorm room the entire night, but it was he was not in his actual room. He said that he slept in the lounge, which was a common, like a common area part of the dorm, which likely story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is who does that? Who sleeps? When do you have a room? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I guess because I've never lived that dorm life. Did yeah. you live in a dorm? Hashtag that dorm life. No, but I had friends that did, so I visited. <laughs> I've, I visited dorms before, and they are pretty small. So I guess if you want to get your space from your Yeah, from your or if your your roommate has a, a, a friend over. A friend. <laughs> <laughs> a friend during the night, then maybe you wouldn't want to sleep in the room with him. Maybe not. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> So police set off to confirm Christopher's story, but after speaking to several of his roommates and friends who could have possibly provided him an alibi, they learned that in the early hours of the morning of November 15th, he was actually nowhere to be seen, and there was nobody who knew him that could confirm that he was at the dorm or that he was even in the town. Right. Yeah, most people would were saying, like, no, I was in the common area. It's not a big area. If he was there sleeping... It, you would notice. It, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not a house. It's this small little area. Joan pulled through a surgery and survived, but she lost the sight in her left eye and a portion of her skull. Just terrible. After surgery, Joan stated that she had no memory of the attack, but she knows that Christopher was not the one to do this to her. 
As detectives continued to investigate Christopher, Joan even wrote a letter to the police begging them to look for, quote, the real killer and to let her family grieve and find justice for herself and her husband. Can you imagine as the detectives, you're dealing with this victim who has been through so much, lost her husband, you're accusing her son. She is adamant her son had nothing to do with it and is begging you to find somebody else. But you know all signs kind of point to him, like right. how you'd have to tread through that because you want to bring her justice. But I don't know that this is just so complicated right. to me. It is. It's very complicated. Detectives still believe Christopher had something to do with this terrible tragedy, but they would need more than the nod of a traumatized mother in shock. They begin speaking with friends and family of the Porcos, as well as looking into exactly what Christopher was doing during the time his parents were attacked. We talked a little bit earlier about the detectives going to the Porco home two years before the murder when their laptops had been stolen. And during the course of their investigations, detectives discovered that Christopher had stolen a Dell computer and Macintosh computer while he was home from college. He had also stolen the security camera at the front of the Porco home, so the Porcos were unable to see whether or not someone had broken in. During this time, Christopher and Jonathan both had eBay accounts where they would buy and sell various items on eBay, just eBay sellers. Yeah, they were they were pretty big into this eBay selling. eBay, eBay yeah. hustling. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. <laughs> um, so both of their accounts were frozen at some point as they shared an address, and Christopher began selling items and not shipping them to customers. He even set up a separate email address to write customers claiming to be Jonathan and apologizing that their items weren't going to be sent because that the brother, Christopher, was dead yeah so that's that's, huge yeah that's a that's more than just like a little white lie (laughs) you are killing somebody already it reminds me of the stories of like without getting into any conspiracy theories about scott peterson get into them no (laughs) (laughs) but you know like the idea of scott peterson very quickly saying oh my wife died like she died a while ago and that's why she's not here and you'll hear that about other people in these affairs and murders where they'll say oh my wife died tragically a few years ago and she's alive three hours away you know and so it's always kind of icky to me but yeah the whole thing with the ebay was really really strange but he was just like pocketing all this money and then coming up with an excuse that he died by pretending to be his brother so right they didn't find out about it until jonathan's account was locked and so once he realized why can't i sell they're like uh, somebody at your address is stealing from people right so friends at the university of rochester claimed that christopher was someone that presented himself as having large amounts of wealth while his family was quite comfortable, he was acting like he was Jay-Z and everyone else was Ja Rule. And <laughs> I wrote that with the intention of fixing it. And guess what? It works. It works. I'm glad you left it in. He is. Yeah. He was basically Ja Rule. He regularly told people that his parents were millionaires and that they, that they owned oceanfront properties, had all kinds of excessive money. As police began to investigate Christopher's finances and emails, they quickly found some very unnerving emails between Joan and Christopher. Christopher had been lying to the Porcos about school, like, altogether. In March of 2004, the couple learned that Christopher was failing out of the community college he was at after being kicked out of the University of Rochester for poor grades. So he was there at this community college to bring his grades back up so he could get back into the University of Rochester. While Christopher was on spring break in Europe, which apparently he had money to do that, right. <laughs> from stealing people's eBay stuff, I guess, um, he began receiving emails from his family begging him to tell the truth. Frank and Joan began receiving bills in the mail for Christopher, who was still living this life of excess and opulence, and he was just living it up. And on his parents' dime, they're getting the bills. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so his parents continued emailing him and begging him to talk to them, but those requests went ignored. 
Christopher eventually forged transcripts from the community college so that he could return to the University of Rochester, which was something his parents never even found out about. Um, The couple believed, as their son had told them, that he had been allowed to return to University of Rochester because the year before, one of the professors had lost his exams, which is what really had caused him to fail and get kicked out in the first place. So once they relocated these lost exams, he was free to return to the university. Yeah. (laughs) What is – I don't even understand any of that and how they would buy it. But I guess, like, it's – such a big lie or, you know, such like, why would you lie about that? That you probably so weird that you would think like, well, the truth is probably stranger than like yeah. a lie would be. You know? Oh my goodness. It's a very elaborate lie. It is. Christopher told his parents that because of this terrible error that the school had agreed to cover his tuition. So this goes a step further. They now. have just like, wronged him so much over this one exam, right. which by the way, how uh, in most classes, if you're doing okay, I mean, I guess if you got a zero, it would definitely bring you down. But this one class is why you got kicked out. That doesn't even make a lot of no. sense. You're doing bad in other classes. So, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So, of course, uh, that wasn't true. They did not offer to pay his tuition. And instead, Chris had forged his dad's signature for a high-interest $31,000 loan to pay for his tuition. (laughs) This kid, I like – everyone does dumb things when they're like a young adult sometimes and you make like bad decisions that can be expensive because let's face it, like you have access to getting like loans and things like that because you're an adult. but. I could go into stories about my credit card debt that I racked up when I was 18. Like, yeah. And it's just, to even think it's of upsetting. all this, it is upsetting. So we're buying a house, yay. And I had to show like our stu- my student loan thing. And I looked today, like had to pull it up today. And I will be done paying for it in 2030. Like my daughter will have graduated high school. <laughs> okay, but I feel like you're lucky because that's actually not that far away. I've been paying for it for 10 years. <laughs> It's not like I just started. I'm not a spring chicken. This was years ago, and I'm still paying for it. Oh, and the only thing I have to show – oh, I don't even have to show it anymore. I ha- I bought a TV with it. That was one of the dumb things I did with it. <laughs> and I was like – we always called it our $20,000 TV. And then we got rid of it, and that was a really rough day for me. Yeah. <laughs> you poor thing. Sorry. I know. <laughs> It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. So Joan uh, just continued to email her son Christopher about all these bills and notices that they were receiving to their home. And she was even hoping that the weekend uh, before the attack actually took place, that they would have the opportunity to sit down with their son and discuss the bills and kind of help him get, get things back on track. And I know like as a parent, that's really hard because you're like, okay, my kid's making some bad decisions and now like they're... I have to also be responsible because, like, obviously this is going to be in my name. Right. But you still want to have a conversation and, like, hold them accountable and be like, okay, now this is how we have to 
fix this problem. Yeah. So they were trying to work with him and and just wanted to talk to him, you know, right. which of course they did. In one of the last emails, Peter had told Christopher he was incredibly upset and disappointed that he had forged his signature, but concluded the email by saying that he and Joan loved Christopher and cared about his future. That was really hard to see. Yeah. Um, but this whole story reminds me a lot of the Burt Whitaker story. I, yep. I was just about to say that too. Same idea where it's money and all this kind of stuff. And the parents are still saying like, we're here for you. We love you. And you know, um, I found this kind of interesting. The website times union laid out the debts Christopher had in the weeks leading up to the attacks. He owed eBay more than $3,600 American express. He owed more than $4,000 and he had not made payments for the past three months. His savings account only had a balance of $1.93 been there. His checking account was negative by $115 and 30 cents. Also been there. His auto payment for which he had forged his dad's signature for a loan was over $14,000 and he had two unpaid payments. Sprint, which at this time is still a phone company. I don't think it's a phone company. Are they not? I thought they were. Maybe I'm thinking of MCI and that Bugaboo song by... (laughs) (laughs) Destiny's Child? Yeah. (laughs) So it's not MCI. Sprint, he owed $254, hadn't paid for two two months. And 12 days before the attacks, the Porco was told he owed over $16,000 to the University of Rochester. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine having this much debt. Like It's just looming over him, uh-huh. and he hasn't and paid for up. months. Yep, exactly. And he and the big one, really, is um, within six days before the, these attacks, Christopher was actually removed as an authorized user from his parents' credit card. So he had nothing. You know, He's in all this debt, and now he has no way out. Um, and I think he was – I would think you'd – even though his parents are saying, we'll talk to you about this, whatever, like he ha- he's going to have to complain about all of these right. things. That's There's a lot that they don't know. And, you know, they might be saying they're going to be okay with it, but, you know, you never know. According to police, all of these outstanding bills gave Christopher a motive for the murder. Porco's parents had life insurance policies and he and Jonathan would be the beneficiaries to these plans, thus eliminating his quote unquote problems. Almost one year after the attacks, Christopher was finally arrested. Prosecutors had a very delicate line to walk, as Melissa st- uh, said earlier in the episode. Um, after all, one of the victims in this case believed they were charging the wrong person with murder, and not only had Joan lost her husband, but she also stood the chance of losing her son um, to prison for the rest of his life as well. When it came time for the trial, she actually was going to be testifying for the defense. So she was very adamant that her son did not do this, um, and pretty much just said like she has no recollection of saying that he did. Yeah, for sure. You know, very sad. Prosecutors began putting together a timeline. Christopher claimed to have been asleep in the dorm at the time of the attacks, but as we said earlier, there was no one that was able to corroborate the story. Police pulled the security cameras from the parking lot at the University of Rochester to see whether or not Christopher had left the campus that night. During the trial, prosecutors showed footage of Christopher leaving campus in his bright yellow Jeep at 10.36 p.m. He had previously been asked whether or not he had left the campus um, at all the night before the mur- uh, the night before of the murders, um, and he he said no. He ad- adamantly denied that he ever left the campus that night. But then here he is on security, driving off campus, bright yellow jeep. It's right. not like a silver little Camry or something like right. this thing sticks out. You're not going to forget it. Christopher's attorneys claimed that Christopher had simply forgotten that he had driven off campus. He had to move this bright yellow radioactive Jeep off campus to park, and that's all he was doing whenever the tapes caught him 
caught his Jeep leaving campus, which I kind of didn't understand that. Like, why do you have to move your Jeep off campus? Like, I never really found an answer to that. Like, I guess maybe at a certain time you had to be. But if you lived on campus in the dorm. He had so many lies. Like, was he even living in the dorm? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, really? Like, was he even, you know, did he have to move his thing because he didn't have a parking pass because he didn't good question. Really go there like I don't know I don't know if that's true I'm just speculating that yeah that is speculating <laughs> not our usual allegedly this right. is just speculation <laughs> this is just us talking exactly <laughs> there were some things that Christopher's attorney could not ever really get past they were never able to really explain these things like there were two toll workers who claimed to have seen Christopher driving his distinctive yellow jeep through the toll roads that evening here's the thing with that how on earth do you remember every car that comes through? Yeah. I mean, I guess if it's like late at night, but like even at 10 something, there's a lot of traffic going on toll roads, I yeah. would think. I get the yellow Jeep. I mean, that's like not in his favor whatsoever. But I it, I witness it, like things with that. I'm always like, eh. I'd feel better if they like too. pulled up his tack. Like, you know how or in Florida like you can that. take yeah. pictures and stuff. I know. Well, because I'm the same way. And I feel like if I had a job like that, I feel like, okay, I'm not saying anything's wrong with toll workers, but I feel like it is no. a mundane profession. Like where you're, it's just cars rolling in and out all the time. So I feel like in that sense, I would kind of like, you just kind of stop paying attention. Like, it's just like, here's the next car. Yeah. And like, I'm not scoping. I wouldn't be scoping out every vehicle that came through enough to remember like that I saw a specific one. Yeah. So I agree with you on that. But like you said, it's a bright yellow Jeep. So yeah. maybe it was a little bit But I bit wonder more. like how recently after that they talked to them. Because yeah. how are you going to, you know, three months ago, did you see this Jeep? Oh, yeah, I did. Well, Right. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah, remember exactly. what I did last night, let alone, you know, three months ago. They were also never able to really explain away the neighbor that claims to have seen Christopher's Jeep parked in the Porco's driveway in the early morning hours of November 15th. This person knew Christopher, knew his Jeep, and thought it was weird that morning because he knew Christopher was away at college. Again, like, you never know with these kind of eyewitness statements. Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes people get them wrong. So prosecutors continued to lay out their evidence against Christopher. Detective Bodish and others testified that the home of Joan and Peter showed no signs of a break-in. In fact, the spare key that the couple hid on their front porch was found in the front door lock. One explosive piece of evidence presented in trial was that the Porco's alarm system had been bashed in, but not before the master code was used to disarm it. Prosecutors claimed that Christopher had broken into the house, disarmed the code with the master code, and then bashed the alarm, thus making it look like somebody had broken in. And before the alarm went off, they broke it, you know, busted into it. Um, What the person who broke the alarm did not realize was that even though it was smashed in, the brain of the alarm system still documented that the master code had been put in first. So this great elaborate, uh, it's a break-in, and before it went off, you just hit it. No, somebody had turned on the code, stopping it before that, and then hit it to say, you know, to show like, oh, yeah, exactly. Prosecutors also reminded the jury that the Porcos were attacked with an axe found inside the Porcos' home. We've discussed this before, but in most attacks by strangers or outsiders, they are going to bring their own weapon. They're not going to show up and assume that they're going to find something to use. Yeah, They're going to have this planned out and they're going to bring... When does that ever happen? Like, right. you see this happen in these like fake sort of things where right. they're they come like, in and they like they use a knife from the family's kitchen or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like that's more like a horror movie type thing and not real. Yeah, you know, like if real you're life. going in there to do this, you're going to be prepared. It sounds to some degree to say that, but yeah, you would though. I feel like right, most people would. I think I don't. I think it's very unusual to just go there and like I'll fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Very weird. But, of course, 
if it's your parents' home, then you already know what's there. Right, exactly. So there were drawers and things that were pulled out throughout the home, but as we said before, nothing was stolen. And it's just kind of, it just makes you wonder why someone would break into a home, pull drawers out, make it look like there was this, you know, robbery attempt or burglary, but not actually steal anything. Um, And then, of course, kill someone and terribly injure someone else. And there's just, there's no, like, you can't come up with a reason for what motivation someone would have for doing that. Right. Well, and I mean, however you kill somebody is terrible, but axe versus gun like that's yeah that's a you want somebody dead with either but really with an axe like you it's very 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 violent yeah hands on yes mm-hmm. so the defense argued that christopher had no real motivation to kill his parents huh. which i don't understand how they thought that considering all the debt he was oh in my gosh and everything. yeah um his last email from his dad said that they would work things out and that they loved him so why would um christopher want his parents dead if they were had plans to kind of work this out. Right. So this was just a bump in the road for the family. According to the phone company, the wires had been cut at 4.54 a.m., and this was just an attempt to stage this robbery gone wrong. It was yeah. all part of it. Um, so, But they had found this fingerprint near the cut wire, and, of course, the defense is wondering, like, why they're not looking into that, and whoever left that fingerprint is probably the person who cut the wire and the killer and all of those things. And um, fingerprints don't have a timeline. You know, I always think that whenever they're like, there's an unknown fingerprint on this car place too. There could be anyone's fingerprints on a telephone. I'm terrified everywhere. My fingerprints are anything ever. I want to wear mittens everywhere. (laughs) That's going to make you look way more guilty (laughs) in Florida. (laughs) Prosecutors claimed that Chris headed back to Rochester at 5:12 AM. And that was tracked by the New York state Thruway which is the tolls that we just discussed earlier. Um, At 8.30, his Jeep was shown yet again driving past a medical center. While the defense argued that the medical center's video cameras um, could not capture Christopher's car tags, they were able to match the mudstains on the Jeep to the mudstains on his vehicle that he had later admitted to driving on and off campus that night. They claimed the mud on the Jeep acted as a fingerprint of sorts and showed that it was the same Jeep caught on tape. So that I understand. It's not just any yellow Jeep. It's this same one. And you can tell because it's dirty just like this one. Yeah. (laughs) And it's the same few hours. So it looks, you know, it's not like a Jeep three weeks ago and this, but they were like, that was even better than a fingerprint that they could see exactly how this mud stain was on this giant yellow Jeep, big bird Jeep. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So after being confronted with the video evidence showing Christopher leaving campus the night of the attack, Christopher claimed that, yes, he did move his Jeep off campus for the night, and he just forgot about doing this until the security cameras showed otherwise. I love that whenever people just happen upon this information. (laughs) Yeah. So his attorneys claim that the reason Christopher's roommates didn't notice him asleep in the common area was that, guess what? He wasn't there the entire time. Oh, yeah. He was awake, (laughs) walking around campus till 3 a.m. the night of the murder. So- but did he stop at a Starbucks? Like, what were you doing? Who is walking around in the middle of the night in New York in November? You know, what? And no one can No one can confirm they saw no you. No one can confirm they saw you, and you're just walking around everywhere. What are you doing? Yeah. I don't even think cell phones were that big of a deal at that point. You weren't texting people. You weren't on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was back whenever Facebook started and you needed to – oh, well, he was in college. You had to have a college email. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I do. The defense set out to discredit many of the claims the prosecution had made. One big part of this case was Joan's nod that night, singling out Christopher as her attacker. The defense went to great lengths to try and disprove that Joan even knew what she was doing after being savagely injured that night. 
Um, and it wasn't just Detective Bodish that saw this. There was like the EMS workers. There were several people that were like, yeah, she was answering these questions. And, and it was she knew obvious. She knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. That was there. The people who were on scene at that time were saying she definitely seemed coherent and, and understood questions that were being asked to her. Right. In, including that question, but also other questions. It appeared that she knew what was being said to her and she was responding. Right. In a way. Which is amazing she was able to respond right. at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. So they bring on this expert that says that while Joan could answer things like move your right arm or, you know, turn your head this way or whatever, those are more muscle memory and things that you do by command. But what they were asking her about this attack had to do with a different part of the brain. Different part of your brain, yeah. And so she could be answering your questions, but she had no idea what she was saying. She was ask, answering memory things. So you could say, were you born in 1912? And she could have nodded yes because that's more of a memory, I guess. Right. I, yeah. It's embedded. Or embedded, right. yeah. But it's not like movement or whatever. People that know a lot about brains are going to be really ticked off the way I'm explaining that. But This is how we explain everything. I'm sorry about that, people who know a lot about brains. People with brains. Yeah. I'm so sorry how we're describing brains. So this was, like we said, a very different part of her brain that had been affected in the attack. And so that was what the defense was arguing. And I think that was a good point, right. that it is totally different. And so she could just be nodding about anything. Just She just happened to say it was, you know, Christopher. Well, yeah, honestly, for a defense, I feel like that's that's a pretty solid thing for them to go with oh, and yeah. say, like, there's no way. She had just been hit in the head with an axe. Like, there's absolutely no way that you can use anything she told you at that time, like, as truth or as proof of anything. Right. And so I can understand why they, like, latched on to that and really wanted to prove that, um, you know, and use that to her son's benefit. For sure. It's very sad. Uh, the defense also worked on discrediting other evidence that the prosecution brought forth. They claimed that Christopher was not there and that he did not disarm the alarm. Peter had a habit of forgetting to turn the alarm back on after letting the dogs out at night, and this would explain why the alarm was disarmed before it had been bashed in. Now, I don't remember if they had the timestamp because to me that would matter. Like, was it 30 right. seconds after right. that it was broken? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. And as we talked about before, there was the key in the front door that night that was like an extra key. And the attorneys were able to explain that away by um, pointing to Peter's strange behavior that morning after he had already been through this attack. Um, it, basically, they were just saying that he could have been going through his morning routine, yeah. like going through the motions, kind of like on an adrenaline rush, but also just on like... Your body's in shock, You're really. in shock, mm-hmm. right. And so he was just going about his business for the day, you know, woke up and was going to go outside, grab the paper. And so they were saying that it was plausible that he could have locked the door or, you know, picked up that key and stuck it in the, you know, stuck it in the locked himself out when he got Mm -hmm. out, put the key in that moment. And I think that makes sense too. Yeah. But I would be interested, like, was there blood on the key? There had to be blood on the key, you know? I doubt he wiped it off and put it in there. Right. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, 
DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So while Christopher's defense worked hard to counter every piece of evidence laid out by the prosecution, in the end, they were not successful. On December 12, 2006, the jury came back with a guilty verdict. He was sentenced to 25 years to life on each count, which totaled a minimum of 50 years in prison, and Christopher is eligible for parole in 2052. This part made me really sad. Uh, Joan, who would stay by her son's side through the entire trial, missed the verdict because it came back so quickly. So she wasn't even there with him, which, again, I believe he did this, but for her own, you know, like, she's still his mom. You know, I don't know. I felt bad for her. Didn't feel bad for him. Right. That she couldn't be there at that point. I mean, I guess, but like how hard would it be like to be there when like your son is being convicted of killing you, your husband and trying to kill you? Yeah. But like when, that's, that's like a whole nother level of, yeah, you know, like that's really emotional. I don't even know how you would get through something like that. That's true. Like, you know, it's not like they're saying, okay, he's guilty of Acquitted. murdering someone. Yeah, you know, that's like true. He's guilty of murdering, like, his father and attempting to murder you. Right. Like, that's what the jury found. That that's yeah. what he's guilty of. So that'd be hard to hear. I yeah. Think. The 48 Hours um, episode I watched on this, the, his attorney, um, she said, you know, he said to me, please be the one that calls my mom. But apparently, like the other part of the story, um, it ended up being a news reporter had called Joan first. So that made me sad that she didn't hear it from Elisa's attorney. Again, yeah. for her, not for him. Right. Not for him at all. No, I understand that. So uh, one thing jurors were very adamant it was letting uh, Joan know that it was not her nod that caused them to believe that he was guilty. They really felt that um, she never knew what was going on at that point, that they believed the defense witnesses that said, like, she had no clue. You know, I I think that's probably true. Like, then she's got to feel guilty if she truly believes he didn't do this, that, oh, my gosh, my nod is the reason right. he went to prison. But I can it's see, not your too, nod. How, right, how the jury would be like, no, there was more than enough besides yeah. that to, <laughs> to convince us that it was him. Yeah, exactly. So Christopher is being held in the Clinton Correctional Facility, home of our friends from, not our friends, our enemies. Our, yeah, our mortal enemies. Our escapees. Our escapees yeah. <laughs> from our episode on the lamb, which I found that interesting. I, I know that like 
these uh, notorious killers are sometimes in prisons together. But it was just kind of weird to me to realize like they run into each other and on the yard. I don't know. I don't know why that was fascinating to me. According to Facebook, Clinton Correctional Facility is a three-star facility, but hopefully you'll never be in a position where you need that sort of information. Did you know that they did Facebook ratings on prison? I did not. I was waiting to be like zero out of 10, I was shanked here or something. (laughs) So since the trial, Christopher's attorneys have successfully blocked the release of the movie called Romeo Killer, which I didn't even understand why it was called Romeo. Like, what about him was Romeo? Uh, claiming that it violated his the New York Civil Rights Section 51, which is New York State's version of publicity rights. They claim that the movie would be fictionalized and dramatized and would omit the truth, and they vowed to fight it. Lifetime decided it was in their best interest not to release the movie. That's too bad, because it would be a good movie. Would be interesting, yeah. Um, and it was starring Eric McCormick. Who would Eric McCormick be playing? Oh, I think he might have been playing the detective. Eric McCormick from Will and Grace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know who was playing Christopher Porco. But we'll never know. Thanks a lot, Lifetime, for not trying a little bit harder. I'm going to have to watch the Jodie Arias movie again. (laughs) So that is our story for the week on the murder of Frank Porco and the attempted murder of Joan Porco. So before we do our last thing before we go, we did want to announce that we are going to do a special little contest. Yay. You always sound so excited when I make these announcements. <laughs> so um, so we have a few different designs in our um, merch store, if you will. I hate saying merch store. It's it like does. the worst thing ever. Um, where you can buy Moms and Murder merchandise. <laughs> yeah. That might sound a little worse. Somehow. So we have a couple different designs. We have like the logo on there. And then we have like a chicken and Diet Coke design. And then we have um, some quotes oh, like that Melissa has. We bring you the facts. We just don't know them. Right. We that, have that seems to be pretty popular. That is. And we have that now uh, as a design. You can get that on a t-shirt or a mug or whatever. But we're always getting suggestions from listeners. They're always writing us and, you know, with things that they hear on the show that they like or they think are funny. And they're always saying like, you should put that on a t-shirt or you should put that phrase or quote or whatever right. it is. And um, it's a great idea. It is a great idea. <laughs> so um, we wanted to say that if you have a great we idea. We don't want to do it. <laughs> no, if you have a great idea like that and you have a vision and you're also very artistic and you want to make us a design that we can put on merch. <laughs> and you want a prize. And you Let's want a sell prize. it that way. Yes. So we're going to do that. So it can either be, like I said, it can be a quote and you can make it really pretty and everything, or it can be anything, honestly. If anything that makes you think of our show that you think would look good on um, a t-shirt or yeah. a mug or... It has to be an original design. It can't be a Canva be thing. That's a yeah, problem. Yeah, that is the thing. It has to be original. That's why Mandy hasn't made more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> Thanks, Melissa. No, I'm um, saying it's like way more complicated to make these designs. It is. We don't have really it is time to do it. Yeah. It is. But if you want to, you can. Um, we're going to do, we'll leave this up for about a month. So I think we said October 14th sure. yeah. is when we're going to end the contest. And you can email those to us at momsandmurder at gmail.com. There's we will not respond to tattoo removal emails that right. we got this yeah week. we got a tattoo we got an email asking if we do tattoo removal melissa wrote them back and said that uh we to wash not. it with soap <laughs> yeah um so if you guys are interested in trying that out or doing that go ahead and send them to us um if uh we pick yours or we might actually put it up to our facebook group for a vote um based on like a few of them we might give them a few options and then have it vote and then if you win and we use your design um we will send you a t-shirt and a mug with your design on it yeah so and That's, you're relinquishing your rights that we can sell this 
after. Yeah. (laughs) So check that out. Oh, and and on the topic also of our Facebook group, since I just mentioned that, I know we haven't mentioned that in a a few episodes, really. Yeah. Um, But we do have a very awesome, awesome, awesome Facebook group. I'm not just saying that because we created it, but I'm saying it because there's really- In spite (laughs) of us creating it. There's actually a lot of really cool people in there. And uh, it's called Mums the Word. So if you want to go check that out. And now our listeners have kind of- Everybody has a thing that they like, and some people like certain things more than others, like Melissa likes reality TV more than I do, and I like Big Brother and American Horror Story. So, (laughs) And and then we also have like some support groups on there for different things. So if you want to check out our Facebook group, they're all linked. There's groups, like I said, for those things I just mentioned. Crafting, weight weight loss, loss support, and it's all from our wonderful community of listeners. And um, we do have some of the best... Listeners, we do. I think I don't, I'm not trying to just be braggy, but we do. I love our Honestly, listeners. we do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're almost at 2,000 members and it hasn't exploded somehow or imploded. But um, one thing people don't realize when they join the group, I think they think it's going to be like murder, 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 murder. It's and not. it's like <laughs> food voting, favorite shows. It's it's honestly the only day anybody even mentions our show is on Tuesday. And if you don't like if you blink, it's already gone. Like yeah. it, they're just onto something else. And it's else. me that mentions it. I know. <laughs> Nobody else mentions the podcast ever yeah. in there. And we're totally fine with totally that. Fine. We love our group. Um, so it would be very group, boring yeah. if it was just us all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So check out all of that. So mum's the word. Mum's the word. And that was a lot of things before the last thing before we go. Well, that's why we leave last thing before you go for the last thing before you go. Yeah. (laughs) Our last thing before we go comes from our friend, Mary Jane. And her suggestion was, what is the thing you have to do before you go to bed? She said she has to wash her feet and she usually showers at night with salt at the bottom of the shower. Um, But if she doesn't, she still has to wash her feet. It was something about like the salt being at the bottom of the shower, rubbing against your feet helps like... Like exfoliating. Yeah. But I think it's like... I've never heard of that. It's really interesting, right? I'm probably going to try it tonight. Right? (laughs) And slip and fall and die. And then I'm suing everyone. (laughs) So something I do, I don't... I don't have a lot of like nighttime rituals. Of course, I do all your t- all the typical things that people do. I brush my teeth and like all that stuff. Sometimes I shower at night, sometimes not. I do get on board with washing your feet though because there's nothing worse than getting like Ugh. in your bed with like gross feet. So I know you just put socks on and ignore yeah. your dirty feet. <laughs> oh my, I've noticed nothing. <laughs> um, but another thing that I do, and this is something I've done pretty much all of my life. I Ever since I was little, I have to take a giant glass of ice water to bed. It can't just be like... I can't be – My water. <laughs> Melissa knows that I am very – She's a water snob. <laughs> I'm a water snob. But it has to be cold and like ice cold. So I always have like a Yeti cup, but not a Yeti because I'm too cheap for right. that. So it's like a Walmart. Walmart brand. one, yeah. I know exactly. <laughs> Ozark. Like Ozark, yeah. The big one, a tall one. And I fill it with ice and water before I go to bed. And by the time I wake up in the morning, that entire glass of water will be gone. I like, Are you kidding I drink me? the most water in the middle of the night. I don't know why. I will wake up at like 2.30 in the morning just – absolutely parched and just sit there and chug and it this water is still so cold because it's in this like (laughs) so we need to write ozark yeah (laughs) so i will just just drink this giant thing of water and i'll get up a couple times a night and just just knock back this water so is that a nighttime this is a (laughs) nightmare for me i can't even drink anything past seven o'clock and i'm not kidding before i go to bed i get up to peace three times at minimum before I will go to sleep. My husband will be like, can you put pick that thing off the ground and hand it to me? I'm like, if I roll over, I'm going to have to get up to pee. I cannot do it. So drinking water at night sounds miserable. It would make me so miserable. Thinking about it, it's giving me anxiety. Just I don't want to pee any more than I have to. So um, the I don't wash my face at night because I'm 
very classy like that. Um, but we should wash our faces at night, but that's like not a thing. Sometimes I'll use a baby wipe and like just wipe off my makeup really quick. Yeah. I don't ever. That seems worse. That seems like you're just putting <laughs> straight chemicals all over your face. If it's good enough for a baby's butt, it's good enough for my face. It's questionable. <laughs> Jessica Alba has a bunch of <laughs> conspiracies about that. Um, yeah, so I should do that. I don't do that. Um, I mean, I put socks on and I like to put a sweater on and oh, I like shocker. my own blanket. That has been the best thing for my marriage. Get a second blanket. I always thought like, oh, that sounds sad. That's like in the old <laughs> days whenever people used to sleep in separate rooms. Get a separate blanket. You don't have to pull anything. It's perfect. And I watch TV every night before I go to sleep, which is also very good for your marriage. I watch either The Office, <laughs> Parks and Rec, King of Queens. Nobody likes King of Queens. I found out the hard way. Not that many people. Nikki T, not Nikki T with good hair, a different Nikki T who is also lovely in our group. She's a big King of Queens fan, so she's like my only friend that likes King of Queens. But that's a great one. But yeah, we put it on, turn the timer on, and then go to sleep to laughter. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. I know. Yeah, and we watch TV a lot too before bed. I usually, but not in my bedroom because my TV is busted in my bedroom. So I'm sad about that. But sometimes I will fall asleep on the couch watching The Office. That's why you never know. I started making these references to Mandy, like, now that she's watching The Office. Obvious ones, too, like, about the dinner party. Like, anytime I go to her house. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> it's my favorite, though. The last time I went to her house. For my son's birthday party? For your son's birthday party. Are you she was shame like, me for my... I'm, I'm not shaming you. No, but my your son's birthday party was a lot of fun for me. I threw away your son's birthday present the morning of... <laughs> And my daughter wrapped it in, ended up, we ended up getting a $20 bill and my daughter put it in a box for something else. We didn't wrap anything. She made a sad card. And then Mandy's other friend, who's lovely, shows up and gives the kid an Xbox (laughs) right after me. It was terrible. I'm just kidding. It was wonderful. But man, it really hurt to see that. I mean, basically I spent $40 on your kid, but you'll never see the one gift. Well, what was the other thing? Now I want to know oh, what it was. It was crappy too. It oh. was, um, my daughter picked it out. It was like a stuffed animal. So I know you'd be angry about that, but I was so excited because I knew you'd be so mad. I couldn't wait for you to have to pretend to like it. This is our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> and it was some Minecraft something because okay. they're obsessed with Minecraft. So it was, you know, my daughter put a lot, th- a lot of thought into it, but it was terrible. Um, so it was good. I trashed it. <laughs> but whenever I go to Mandy's, my whole point was whenever I went there, she was like, dinner will be ready and like, or lunch will be ready in 30 minutes. But then 30 minutes later, she's like, I think it'll be like 30 more minutes. And then she'll be like, I forgot to put the potatoes in. Do you guys have an hour? <laughs> and so I, it's not, I mean, it's kind of true. No. Um, <laughs> but I always say, are you trying to the dinner party us from the office whenever they go and Jan like has like seven more hours on her meal. So I'm like, you're dinner partying me. And she's like, I don't get it. What? <laughs> and she claims she watches the office now. So that was a very long story. I have a headache. Let's go. Okay, Melissa. I guess we will see you guys next week. (laughs) All right. I guess. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.